Okay, so we'll get started. We are turning a very big page here. Starting, we have uh, had the, the very sad story of Shaul kind of summed up. And um, Hashem has rejected him. He's done his history. And now we have to uh, introduce the next king. It's going to be David Hanela. And there's going to be a lot of uh, drama between Shaul and David. So we're going to just knock the cabin not in a good place. Sit on something else. Okay, um, so I think we're going to start the screen share. Okay, so this is the first. Um, if you'd like to look at this first, you see it's very deep. There's four separate parts of this parrot, parrot 16. That's Zion, chapter Zion. Um, the first is Hashem telling Shmuel to go to Beit Lechem. And the second is what's going on there, how he's choosing the son of Yisha that's going to be the king. And the third is the actual anointing of the king. And the last section is the aftermath after David is anointed. Um, so we see what's going on going to be very, um, very uh, fateful for Shaul. I did actually want to open up one other thing, but okay, I'll read it to you. Okay, so let me go back to the beginning of this parak. And what we finished in chapter 15 is the, the, the grave disappointment that Shmuel has from his protege, from his beloved Shaul. I mean, you see that there's a tremendous amount of affection between Shmuel and Shaul back in chapter nine, which is what I wanted to open up, which I forgot to open up for you. But um, you see that when he anoints him, he kisses him and he, he talks to him. And, you know, it's a very, very close relationship between Shmuel and Shaul. Their names are similar. Their destinies are intertwined. Back in chapter one, when Hannah speaks to Eli, she says, right, even at the beginning, when Shaul is a when Shmuel is a child, Shaul's name is mentioned already. All the days that he will live, Shaul will live. And in fact, Shmuel dies just a few months before Shaul. Their lives are inextricably linked. So Shmuel has suffered a second disappointment in Shaul. The first was uh, in chapter 13, when Yud Gimel, when Shaul doesn't wait for him for the sacrifice. And he says, that was foolish. You've lost dynasty now. And even though he made this mistake and Shmuel warns him in chapter 15, in Tesfab, he says, I sent to anoint you and I sent you on the way and don't make that mistake again. Even so, he messes up with the story of Amalek. And Shaul, we ended chapter 15 pretty abruptly, so it's, it's worthwhile to go back for a minute. He says, when you, right, when you're leaving, don't leave, Shaul says, give me this honor, right? And he goes, Shmuel says, no, I'm not gonna give you this honor, God rejected you. It's very, very painful for Shmuel, we can hear it. He says, God has ripped the kingdom from you today and given it to your friend who is better than you. And the ripping of the garment, <clears throat> it's very not clear in the Pasuk, Pasuk of Zion in the past part, and it was torn. It sounds like it's not a deliberate tear. So that, the Chazal, you know, ask, who, who ripped whose cloak? 
But the Pashtun, this is a simplest explanation, it sounds like Shmuel is turning to go because he's so disappointed and Shoal like grabs the edge of his cloak to try to stop him. And as he's turning and going, Bayikara, it's a passive. It was ripped. And that was the sign. And Shmuel says, God ripped the kingdom from you and gave it to someone better than you. The very act of tearing the garment, that act is symbolically saying this is an edict that cannot be uh, revoked. It's too, it's too late. And um, the Mendra says that the person who rips your cloak is assigned to you that he's going to be the one to take over your kingship. And that, of course, happens to be David. <coughs> Excuse me. So Shmuel, we have to put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. Shmuel has had a disappointment with his own sons. They didn't walk in his ways. And his protege, his surrogate son, Shaul, who is just this magnificently regal creature, so tall and handsome and 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 gentle and, and with beautiful midot. And he's suffered a tremendous disappointment and he refuses to see him again. He says, I'm not going to see you again. That's the end of chapter 15. He doesn't see him again until the day of his death. That's a long discussion because in 28, he sees him after his death which is a weird story, chapter 28. Very weird. We'll get there. And um, so there's Shaul at home in Giva and Shaul at home in Rama, and Shaul is mourning. Mourning the disappointment, the sad outcome here. Pasuk Aleph in our parent, Tetzayin. Mayom Hashem Shmuel Ad Matai Atamita Be'alel Shaul. How long will you mourn for Shaul? I've rejected him. He can no longer rule on Israel. In the modern parlance, you say, Shmuel, get over it. Get over it. You cannot keep mourning over, over Shaul. The Mitsuda says, It's not appropriate to mourn so long. Right? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Yishai Beit Lechem because I saw amongst his sons a king for me. And Metsudas points out, Li Melech, Shehuye Melech Li. He's going to do what I want. He's the king that I want. And here we have a very uh, strong contrast because he's saying, right, we got Shaul, we listened to what the people wanted, we gave them this handsome, regal presence that, you know, to start an army and to, to be their leader and, you know, but that's not what I want, God says, I want a king that's going to do what I want. Shaul has twice failed, you know, to have faith in what I wanted and to go with what I wanted. I'm done with him. He's history. And it's extremely hard for Shmuel. And he says, stop mourning. So I think that might be our, our first uh, lesson. Right? There, it, there are times when we have to let go. Very, very difficult, sometimes extremely painful. But um, sometimes it's necessary to let go in order to move forward. It's, uh, it's a sad lesson. And Shmuel, Shmuel's not like Shaul. Shmuel is, he's committed to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wants. He's not going to, you know, do his own thing, like, uh, you know, interpret things his own way. So he's got to do what God wants. Pasuk Bet. How could I go to Beit Lechem? To anoint a new king, if Shmuel, if Shaul hears about it, he'll kill me. So this question has bothered the Mefarshim for for generations. What do you mean? God tells you to go, so you go. 
you are a servant of God. You've been loyal to God all the time. God says, go. And he says, I, I know. Shmuel's gonna kill, uh, Shell's gonna kill me. And the interesting part of this is that there's a, there's a stop in the middle of the Pasuk, which generally speaking, when you see that in the Pasuk, it means that in the cloth, in the parchment, there would be a pause in the text with a samaka would be the ending. Like if you could see, I'll show it to you, right? If you could see what I'm showing you in the text, the open line would be a pay. And when it's closed, it would be a sama. And it's very unusual to have it in the middle of a pasuk because it's really a matter of paragraphing. So why are you doing that in the middle of a pasuk? And it would seem that this generally um, happens when we have two, you know, we have a distinction between God speaking and other people. So Shmuel says, how can I go? He'll kill me. And the second part is God's answer, which is also fascinating. Hashem says, Right? And Hashem says, take a calf, a calf, uh, and uh, take it with you and tell people I'm going to sacrifice to God. So this is a little bit strange because what you might think is that what's God going to say? He says, how can I go? Shaul will kill me. What would God, you expect God to say, hey, Shmuel, no one's killing you if I'm sending you. Or Shmuel, what do you mean? You know, have some faith. It's your job. There's many, many things you think that God would answer. And God's answer is, oh, tell them you're making a sacrifice. Bring a calf. Tell them you're making a sacrifice. So this bothers the Mepharshim greatly because what's the deal that Sh Shmuel is making a protest uh, uh, that he can't do this? And why is Shmuel all of a sudden afraid of Shaul? Would Shaul ever do anything to Shmuel, his surrogate father that he loves and respects so much? Come and give me honor. How, how could we think such a thing, right? It seems so odd. So the first will go into long discussions about this. I will try to keep it short. The most important parshan here is um, Radak. Right? Uh, Radak says like this. And it's a very, very important Radak. It's a very, very uh, pivotal parshanut here. He says, we find that when Hashem promises a Navi or a righteous person, he still is afraid to go to a place of danger. And then he gives you a bunch of examples, right? Hashem promised Yaakov, I'll take care of you. You'll come back. I'll give you this. Amen. And then still, when Yaakov is about to meet Esav, Esav, right? I mean, we could be forgiven for saying, well, Yaakov, you know, that's a lack of faith. Kodesh Baruch Hu said, you know, he's going to take care of you. Why are you afraid of Esau? And similar things, Moshe, Moshe says, so power won't listen to me, you know, and then Gidon has this whole ruse for his fight, what he's supposed to do miraculously. You know, it, it's very, very interesting. So what his conclusions are, he goes through all these examples, right? Even though Kanish Baruch Hu does miracles and wonders, usually they are according to the ways of the world. And, you know, in other words, in a natural way, very, very rare that God goes out of nature to make like an unnatural miracle. So people in a natural way are supposed to be afraid. How could, you know, how could he, Yaakov not be afraid of Asaph? How could David not be afraid of Shaul, right? So he says, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to provide you with a ruse. I'm going to provide you with a method to go so that Shaul doesn't know what you're up to. And so our conclusion is, So a lot of Gemaras about this. I'll show you. Right, 
Rabinathan says, this is two, there's two lessons that you have to learn from this Radak. Lesson number one is in Somcharanes, and lesson number two is you're allowed to twist and bend the truth in order to keep peace. So let's talk about each one separately. This, this particular Gemara is talking about um, uh, changing, let's say, you know, we, it's not a dispensation to have an out lie, but here it says, just as it's a mitzvah to say something, Rabbi Ila says this, right? This is in Yavama. Just as it's a mitzvah to say something that a person will hear and that they will accept, so too is it a mitzvah not to say something that most people will not accept, right? As it says, It says, rebuke a wise person, he will love you, but don't rebuke a scoffer because he'll hate you. In other words, if you see somebody who's not going to listen, you say, well, stop behaving like that. Let's say they're drunk at a wedding. You say, you know, pull yourself together and they're just going to laugh at you and make trouble. It's a mitzvah not to say anything. And Rebbe Loa says, right? We're talking here about speech. You are allowed to watch what you say, not say what you need to say, say what you need to say, in the appropriate situations, and you are allowed to bend the truth if that's going to keep the peace, right? For example, the example that Gemara brings is Yosef, right? Right? Uh, they come to Yosef after Yaakov dies and says, you know, Yaakov, your, our father said that you shouldn't be angry with us. Okay? And Rabbi Nassim says, it's a mitzvah to do that because Shmuel says, how can I go? Shoal will kill me. And, right, the very Rabbi Yishmol Tana Gadola Shalom Shafa Kodesh Baruch Hu Shina Bo Tmeikra Ketir Vadoniza Keil Asok Ketir Vadoniza Kanti. This is a great example, okay? Akadosh Baruch Hu himself changes the words in order to keep the peace. Because when the angels come to Sarah and say, you're going to have a child, Sarah says, how can I, you know, have a refreshed life after I have shriveled and my husband is old? Now, this is pure fact. I mean, he was 99, so it was not exactly intended to insult him. But HaKadosh Baruch telling that over says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, I am old. Kashbok switched it. I am old. As if Sarah said that. She said, no, he is old. So we all know that it's always good, a good idea to watch what you say with spouses. A lesson always to remember. So the basic two lessons we learned from this Radak are number one, you can say something that's not exactly truth. It's advisable to always it's interesting the way that a commandment is put in the Chumash is midvar stay away from matters that are lies so we're being told that now it's not like don't lie it doesn't say it's to stay away from that and here we're learning that sometimes it's necessary sometimes it's necessary to bend the truth a little bit to keep the peace and the other lesson is that you can't rely on miracles take care of yourself. You have to watch. Now, the environmental comes at this from a whole different angle. And it's worth looking at. It's beautiful, environmental. What Shmuel said, how can I go? Right? To me, it appears that this is an apology that's not truthful. That Shmuel did not want to anoint another person another man in the life of Shaul. It, in his eyes, it was bad and bitter, this thing. This is going to destroy the creature of his hands. In other words, the person that he helped bring up. He himself is going to be destroying his own creation. That's how he looked at Shaul. And he said, how can I go? Right? 
he knew that Hashem would not, uh, you know, let that anything happen to him. He knew that Shaul would not hurt him, but because Shmuel, um, he, he didn't want to go and he was making excuses. We call it today dragging his feet. I can't go. You know, like if you want to tell your kids to go somewhere, I'm too tired. I just had my shower. I'm going to bed. Could you please go to the store and buy me milk? No, I really can't. So the Bible is hitting the psychological, the psychological point here. Shmuel doesn't want to do this to Shaul, so he's kind of finding excuses and saying, oh, no, really, I really don't think it's a good idea. And the beautiful thing here that the, the Barbital does, he says, um, Hayarit he wanted to get out of it, right? And that's how Hashem gave him this thing about giving the, bringing the calf so that his going would not hurt him and not hurt anybody. And this is, uh, he goes into this discussion and says, because a Kaddish Baruch Hu understood Shmuel's heart. Many times the prophets have a hard time with God's commands and Hashem knew it was hard for Shmuel. So he said, well, let's do it this way. Try to keep Shmuel happy. I think it's a very uh, beautiful and deep Abarbanel and psychologically very, uh, very sound because it's 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 a very painful thing. And you see this whole parak. You see, the parak is kind of focusing a lot on Shmuel, Shmuel's feeling, Shmuel's reaction. And you see, it's really really hard for him. He does what God wants. But it's really really hard for him. Hasikimo. A very not clear command. Call Yishai to the sacrifice. I'll tell you what you should do, and you're going to anoint the one that I tell you. I'm not telling you right now. This is a question. And Shmuel did what Hashem wanted. He comes to Beit Lechem with this Egla. And the elders of the city trembled to come greet him. Now the word Yecharadu, right? Charada is trembling. That's, by the way, the origin of the word Haredi in modern Israel. A Haredi is a person who is supposed to be uh, trembling before God. And the original um, society, the Ezecharedites, was saying that they tremble before God. Halabai, we should go tremble before God. In any event, they're coming to greet Shmuel and they're very nervous. And the question is, why are they so nervous? So there's an interesting thing that the, the Rabag says back, take a calf. The Rabag says, take that calf and, and do the egg rufa, right? Is there a corpse there, an unidentified murdered corpse? Probably not, but nobody knows that. Shaul doesn't know that. So you just go along to do the ritual. So, you know, the Rabag is like, well, maybe that's what's freaking out the elders here. Is there some kind of corpse we don't know about? But the Dat Mikra has a very simple explanation. Das Mikra says, Shaul has been holed up in Rama since the Amalek catastrophe. And now all of a sudden he appears in Beit Lechem and they are nervous about it. Why is the prophet coming here? Pasuk Yom Shalom. Now, if you notice that in Pasuk Dalit, it's singular. He said, have you come in peace? And apparently, right, this must be the elder of the elders. And that is probably Yishai. You see, I have over here in the next chapter, right, Talking about David ben Ishafrati mi betle hazemi betlechem shmo yishai velo shmona banim vaish bimei Shaul zaken baba arashim. This man, referring to Yishai, was old, coming amongst men. And Rashi says, beknesiot hashivim. He was among the important people. Yishai, according to the Chazal, is one of the four people who never sinned. Give me a second. Who are the other three? 
I know whenever I say this, one of the four who never sinned, everyone said, who are the other three? I believe uh, Binyamin, uh, Amram, uh, Yishai, and I'm blanking on the fourth one. I'll have to check that for you. Kilav, I think, could be David's second son, Kilav, possibly. Anyway, um, so he says, I come in peace, everything's good, I call the Seder. Plus, prepare yourselves, get yourself ready, go to the mikvah, whatever it is, get changed. Come with me and have a sacrifice. And back in chapter 10, there was a whole ceremonial dinner there when Shaul uh, prepares them and he calls them for the Zebah. And Yisha comes now in chapter 17, the next chapter, which I just read you that, that piece, it says that Yisha has eight sons. And here in chapter 16, he brings seven sons. And he sees as they're coming, Yishai with his sons. He sees Eliab, who's the oldest. And he says, Ach, but Neger Hashem, facing Hashem, is his anointed one. This is like, wow, what does that mean? And, um, uh, this one, right? He looks right, Yitzudas. He looks appropriate. Now, don't forget, we had this whole situation with Shaul, right? Shaul was outstandingly tall and outstandingly handsome. So in Shaul's mind, that's the way a king looks. So when he sees Eliab, he says, oh, he must be the one, tall and handsome. We don't know if they're tall, dark and handsome. We can just speculate. This must be the one. And it's, um, it's a, he gets like slapped down here by God. Do not look at his looks and the height of his stature, I have rejected him. It's not like you see. A human being sees only to the eyes, but Hashem sees him to the heart. This, the Chazal say, is a reaction to Shmuel's comment back in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Shaul, looking for his lost donkeys, comes into this town of Ramah and says to Shmuel, where is the house of the seer? Now, because he's looking for Shmuel, Shmuel says, I know Peter I am the seer. And here, uh, um, Rashi's not bringing this. Uh, here, back in Pasuk Vav. Afal pisha karatel atzmacha ro'eh, sh'amartel sh'ol, anochi ro'eh, kanani mo'diacha sh'enacha ro'eh. A very uh, great rebuke for a prophet like Shmuel, who has been consistently right, consistently on target, consistently... God's right hand, and God says, oh, you think you're the seer? I, I, I do think we discussed this back in chapter 9, and we were trying to figure out what's the correct answer when someone comes to you and says, you know, where, let's say for it's me, like, where is Esther's house? So if you're looking for my house, you say, oh, I'm Esther. You're looking for Esther, I'm Esther. So what was he supposed to say? And the point was that he was supposed to direct um, the success of his seeing as a ro'eh to God, right? 
this is what Yosef does when Paro says, you know, hey, I heard that you interpret dreams. And Yosef says, Biladai, it isn't me. Elohim Shlom Paro. It's Hashem who gives me the opportunity. It gives me the ability to um, interpret dreams. We always have to remember this a very important life lesson. We had this, the, uh, the, one of the recurring themes in Sefer Jvarim in our parashiot is we should never be saying I'm so great at this. It's because I'm so clever. I'm so talented. Look what a great deal I made. Look what a great success I made. We always have to say who gave me the power to do this. So here Hashem is telling his Navi, the only time you see is when I want you to see. You only see. Now, seeing is very much a thematic word in this parak. See, 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 see. I've seen a Ba'iti Melech Lo Adam Adam Hashem We see it again and again. To see, to see, to see, to see. Do you see? You do not see. Hashem says to Shmuel, you do not see. You're looking at Eliyahu. But the the Mefreshim say, really, he, the Malbin, the Ralbach said, he's not really talking about Eliab. When he says, Ach, Megan Hashem he's saying, what is this? Who is this Eliab? Why don't you go back to Shaul? It's a very um, painful question. Isn't your Mashiach the one who's already anointed? Shaul, isn't he in front of you? Look at him. How can you take such a person when you have Shaul, and he's still begging for Shaul. And that's when Hashem says, I rejected him. His looks and his height in Pasuk Zion, this is a reference to Shaul. I've rejected him. You're only seeing what you see on the externals. I'm seeing his heart. His heart is not with me anymore. And it's a very important lesson for us to remember. Don't, you know what the Chazal say, don't look at the container, look what's inside. It's a very hard thing for us. We don't have the ability of a Kaddish to look at someone's heart. So what we can do is we can judge them by the way they treat other people. And then we can see, you know, the judgments we make. But Shmuel is still begging for Shaul, according to the Mepharshim, according to the Ralbag, according to the Malbim. He's still begging for Shaul. And Hashem says, no, 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 no. Right? And here he says, you rejected him also. No. Third son. No. Don't want him. Now you have to imagine our Navi, who knows everything. Right? Back in chapter four, right, we said, like in chapter three, his words never fail to come true. And he's standing there perplexed. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Not him, not him. We get the, the last four in an abbreviated version. He's gone through seven sons of Yisha. He says, no. Now, talking about what does Yishai know or not know about what's happening here, that's a question. But in the meantime, let's go on. Right? Is that the end of all the, the young men? Like, you only have seven sons? Yeah, the youngest is still uh, remaining. He's with the sheep. He says, Shmuel says to Yishai, go and get the youngest, because we're not going to, Nasov means to, uh, like we have on, um, on Pesach, they would sit down, they would kind of recline. In other words, we're not going to eat. The Hasabah is a reference to the meal. We're not going to eat the Hasabah. I need to meet your eighth son. So it's a really a big question. Why is David not there? This is a big event. This is the Navi has come. There's a whole Zerach. All your children are invited. Now David's with the sheep. So there's a number of ways of thinking about this. Perhaps David is very humble and he says, and I'll take care of the sheep. There does seem to be a sort of undertone, and we see it also in chapter 17, that 
David is somehow not, uh, you know, they're not much of him. They don't consider him so important in his family. And they, he sent and he brought, they brought him and he was ready with beautiful eyes and good looks. And again, a pause, a pay, a stop in the middle of the Pasuk, because now we're going to have a Shem speaking. Get up and anoint him. This is him. So the description of David, the first time we meet David, it's very, very interesting. Like what's going on here? And let's talk a moment about Admoni. This is um, the same description that we have for Aesop. So that's kind of disturbing. And it means ruddy. And I, I just want to put to rest this whole idea that he was a redhead. He, there's no indication he's a redhead. And in fact, I will show you in Shira Shirim, right? Pasuk Yud Perik Hey, Dodit Sachva Adom, Dagul Merivava. My beloved is pure. Sach is really pure, white, but adom, ruddy, right? Uh, distinguished among the, the myriads is 10,000. Rosho Ketempaz, his head is a uh, golden uh, crown, like a, a um, what do you call it? A, a nasal, whatever, right? A, I'm not blanking on the word, I'm not a turban, but this his headdress is gold. His locks are curly. Today in modern Hebrew, taltalim curls. Shorot black as a raven. So this same dode in the Shira Shirim is ruddy with black curls. So the ruddy that we're talking about, David, is his complexion. He's red complexion. And that's really a kind of, you should excuse the pun, he's, it's a red flag. Because red, you know, it's kind of looks like a person who's a tem temperamental, a bad temper with a, you know, a ruddy face. And because it's associated with Asub, so you could get nervous. So the Medrash says, the Yefei Naim, right? Even though a person who, is Admoni might be considered a person who is, you know, a belligerent. He has Yefei Nayim. And the one Medrash says that this is the Sanhedrin. He only does things with the Sanhedrin behind it. But the other Medrash says that really, uh, it's maybe not a Medrash, but the Malbim says Yefei Nayim is an indication of wisdom, discernment, understanding. There's something in these eyes that you see wisdom. Right? A person can look at the eyes and see that. But Tovah, he's good looking. Something about David startles Shmuel. He's like gone through these seven sons. You see that Eliab looks the part. And then, you know, in, you bring this young, young guy and he's like, you know, red-cheeked. And he's like, you know, beautiful eyes, and, and Shmuel doesn't move. There's like a pause. Get up and anoint him. This is the king. What are you sitting there for? Right? I chose him. And here you see the complete uh, irony of what, uh, what Hashem is doing to Shmuel. The one that you think is right? No. The one that you think is wrong? That's the one. And this is a, a real slap for Shmuel. But if you go back to the Rashi here, we didn't talk about this. Why does he reject Eliab? Right? He says here, the Rashi, Lefishika Asanhu. He was a person of a bad temper. As it says in the next Pasuk, Eliab gets angry at David. So we have to talk about that for one minute and we'll go on. Because in chapter 17, Eliab gets angry with David. And he you know, he, he he does a whole big brother thing, like, what are you doing here? He comes down to the battlefield where, where Goliath is. He says, go home, go home to kill the sheep. What's the matter with you? What are you doing here, you bad boy? And it's kind of, uh, first of all, you know, it, it is a very nasty expression of temper. And second of all, that's the one who was anointed. So here we see that 
we have a question. And Shmuel takes the horn of oil. Remember, we didn't actually talk about the horn of oil is different than what Shaul got. Shaul got a pach, which is like a little vessel. A horn looks like a shofar. Now, it's the horn of an animal, and it has a certain amount of oil in it. And that is reserved for the malchus based David. Chazal say only David and his descendants got this anointing. He takes a special anointing oil, the special vessel for that oil. He anoints him. And that's a very problematic phrase. Amongst his brothers, and the Spirit of God comes on David on that day and forever, from then forward. And Shmuel goes home to Ramah. Now, first of all, is a problematic phrase because it sounds like all of the brothers see that he's being anointed king. And that's very problematic because in chapter 17, as I mentioned, Eliab is very rude to him. So it's kind of, if you think your brother has been anointed king, then perhaps you would be more respectful. So it seems as he not, he didn't anoint him amongst the brothers and all the brothers watching, but he took him from out amongst the brothers and he anointed him. It's a very beautiful midrashim about how the oil formed a crown on David's forehead that looked like pearls. And this is amazing thing going on. And the Ruach Hashem comes on David immediately. And so we're kind of forced to compare and contrast to the anointing of Shaul. Shaul was anointed with a pach, with a vessel, not with a horn, right? Shaul was anointed with a, um, uh, there was like a certain joy of Shmuel, right? Shmuel was like, he he kisses him, he talks to him, he spends the night in conference with him, helping him. And Shaul, if you remember in chapter 10, Shaul has a set of experiences that he has to go through till he gets that spirit. So Shaul's anointing is, is kind of, he's not like ready. He sort of needs to go through a few things before he becomes ready. And this is like very simple. He anoints David, the spirit of God comes on David, end of story. There's no kiss. There's no affection. There's no discussion. Shmuel goes home. And again, we see if we if we can like, you know, dig out the emotion from the text and say, this is this is really hard for Shmuel. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm anointing him. I don't get it. It's not the one I would have chosen. Doesn't look anything like I would have picked out. He looks very young for this. Something I don't get it, but I'll anoint him. And there's no room for, for affection for David. There's no room in Shmuel's heart right now. Maybe later there will be. It's just, okay, fine. It goes home. And here comes the dramatic shift in the story, which is so disturbing on so many levels. And we have to try to figure this out. The Spirit of God went away from Shaul. Two kings cannot wear the same crown. Two kings cannot have the spirit of God that's reserved for kings at the same time. The minute, the minute David is anointed, the minute the spirit of God comes on David, it leaves Shaul never to come back to him. And a bad spirit from God frightened him. Now this word be eight, bet I am tough, we've seen in the Megillah, the Haman nif'at, right? Haman is frightened before when Esther accuses him, right? All of a sudden, Shaul is just completely devastated. He's completely left behind. You just don't, what is that? What happened here? And He's with this frightened, you know, state. What's going on? And it's hard to understand it because we've had this rule. Like, did God actually send a bad spirit to show? He's frightened by a bad spirit from God. Can that be? Right? So we have to go back here. Um, 
As soon, this is the Abarbanel, as soon as David was anointed, the spirit of God came upon him and, it's, and it immediately left Shaul. And to me, this is the reason that this, you know, spirit was with him, but the, it, it <clears throat> um, Ruach Godel Halei, Ruach Mishpat, there's all these beautiful spirit things that come to David with that spirit. And it can't be on two people. So as soon as it came to David, it left Shaul. And it doesn't say Ruach Hashem left him, right, when he sinned. But here it says a bad spirit from God. And Abarbanel is disturbed by the thought that God deliberately sent the bad spirit to, to Shaul. Why would God do that? He says it isn't like that. And um, I'll, I'll just give you how he explains it. He says, this was a depression. It's very interesting. It does seem to have some sort of simanim of a mental illness, what happens to Shoal at this point. And he says, the worry and the pain and the fear and the, and the, um, and the un unhappiness that happens to a person when they are walking always with a great light and all of a sudden the light is taken away. He compares losing the spirit of God to a person walking all the time in light and all of a sudden to be in the dark. It's, it's not that God actually gave him a bad spirit. It's that it was because of what God gave David that Shaul was suffering from the loss of that great light, of that great spirit. And he's he's in this terrible state. It's 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 a great, great sad thing to think about, you know, Shaul's you know, uh, going down here. But he was always had that light, and now it's gone. But he does have the affection of his servants. And he's an approachable person. And they come to him. You're, you're having a hard time. You're afraid of this bad spirit that comes on you. You know, what Barmel calls it melancholia, right? And let our master know we're here for you. We think, right? Maybe you could find a musician, someone who can play the kinor, right? A harp, possibly different instruments, interpreted in different places. And when you have that bad spirit on you, he'll play and you'll feel better, right? Another thing to remember that, you know, back, you know, so many centuries ago, music was always the way to um, bring a person's mood up. And Shoal was like, okay, sounds like a plan. Again, see, see, the, 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 thematic word in this parak. See for me a man who plays well and bring him to me. Whenever it's like a two-word name, you get the the first word separate and the and the um the the connection on the second word, instead of saying I saw Again, see, I saw a son of Yishai in Beit Lechem, and he's Yodan again. He knows how to play, and he's a Gibor Chayel. He's a brave man of valor, and the Ishmael Hama. He's a, a man of war. Unavon Davar, very smart and understanding. The Ishtar is also good looking. Hashem, God is with him. It's an interesting description. What did Shaul want? A man who knows how to play. What does this guy offer him? Uh, you know, what they call Yishalamilis. Alamilis. He knows how to play. He's a brave man of valor. He knows that tactics in war. He's, he's brilliant and understanding. He's good looking. God is with him. 
Now that last one must have been really a kicker for Shaul, because Shaul knows that God is not with him. And the, the Chazal are very clear. This person, one of the boys, the most important, not let's say boys, but of the servants, Doiga Adomi. We are going to meet Doiga Adomi uh, in future chapters. He is, the, this is not mentioned, his name is not mentioned here, but his name is mentioned in the text further on. He is what I like to think of as Shoal's evil genius. He's a big Torah scholar, which proves that you can be a Torah scholar and an evil person. He's probably the one responsible for the mess at Amalek. He's the one who told Shaul to do all the wrong things. He's his advisor, and he's a very evil person. What is he doing here? Now, the environmental goes through these six qualities and says, generally speaking, what's your conception of a musician? Kind of, you know, skinny little, not particularly macho, right? He's a musician, right? But he's a keyboard higher. This is already, you know, a person who is, you know, a, 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 a brave man of valor. And not only that, he's, a brave, he's also an Ishmael Hamai. It's very strange because David is pretty young at this point, it seems. How can he be an Ishmael Hamai? He, he doesn't go to the war. And it seems that he does fight off other enemies. He talks about fighting off animals. He's able to, you know, defend himself, right? And a Vondavar. And then we get a whole new perspective here. A Bible says a lot of these qualities are contradictory. It's not normal, normally that a musician is considered like also a very understanding, perceptive, brilliant person. And if he's a, a man of war, what is he doing being good looking? He should be battle scarred. And with he has all this stuff in him, you know, he's he's uh you know, strong and, and brilliant and musical and everything else together, you don't usually find, you find that's an arrogant person and Hashem wouldn't be with him. So we're really getting a picture of a very estimable, estimable human being. David is very impressive. And it's interesting that he's left with the sheep. The Medrash says about the sheep that that was uh, a it was a profession. It was a, an occupation of Yaakov, of Moshe, of Amos. Many of our greats became great, taking care of sheep, learning. The Medrash says very beautifully that David fed the, the baby sheep first and then the older sheep. And only when they, they took the, the grass that was easy to get, then he would bring the strong young sheep. And Hashem said, oh, that's the right person to be a shepherd for my nation. So why does Doeg do this? The Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim says one of the um, categories of a baklash hara, a dust of lashon hara, is when you praise someone too much. Oh, she's so gorgeous. She's so brilliant. She's got a great job. She's a doctor. Her kids are perfect. Her house is perfect. What do you end up doing? Hating her. Something must be wrong with her. So why does Joey do this? Rashi says, He wanted David not to like, I mean, wanted Shoal not to like David. He wanted Shoal to be jealous of David. I, I, it's hard to understand that. My, my theory is that, you know, Doeg was afraid that if Shoal gets close to David, who is such a um, marvelous human being, that he, Doeg, would lose his place. That's my theory. And Shaul sends messengers to Yishai, please send me your son David, who is the shepherd. Interestingly, the same sort of gift that the three men met uh, Shaul in chapter 10, bread, wine, and a kid goat. You, you send a gift with someone who's attending to the king. When David came before Shaul and he stood before him and he loved him very much and he became his armor bearer. So here we have the question, who, who loves who? 
it would seem that Shaul loves David, and that is actually a natural emotion. David was a very, um, you know, blessed person, charming. And interestingly enough, if you're thinking about what the Bible said, the thought that David has that spirit that Shaul lost. So when David comes, there's something godly there and something immensely comforting to Shaul because he senses that which he's lost. And of course, playing the music does calm him. What does it mean he became his armor bearer? Did he bear his musical instruments? Did he actually come to help serve him in the, in the war, which is a very high rank? The Nosei Kalim of a great general is usually a, it's a very high rank. And Shaul just loves David. And Shaul says, he should let him stay with me because he has found favor in my eyes. This is what we call, you know, uh, an offer you can't refuse. What is he supposed to say? No, I need him for the sheep. The king needs him. So, okay. It's, it becomes problematic in the next chapter when we see that David's not always with Shaul. He does go back to Beit Lechem. So there seems to be something going on there. But the relationship between Shaul and David um, is very close at this point. And it was, and here we see the spirit of God. It doesn't say the bad spirit of God. That whole, the, the spirit that comes to Shaul is given a different name in so many different places. And when that spirit comes to Shaul, he takes his kinor and he plays music. Revach is ease. He became calmer. And he feels good. The bad spirit goes away from him. So in this ironic and so deeply tragic way, David was the, the person who was able to calm Shaul from this, you know, difficult um, depression that he's gone into, both because of the music that he plays, because of the spirit of God that's on him. And a, a Kesha, a relationship develops between David and Shaul which it's, it's kind of sad to say naturally that would have been a very loving relationship, but it's not going to be able to be sustained when um, things develop the way they do. Okay, I think that um, thinking about that spirit of God and what, what Hashem wants and here the, the really sad person, the saddest person in this chapter to me is Shmuel Anabi, who has to you know, do something damaging to his own beloved Shaul. And um, on the other hand, it's very hopeful for the people of Israel because Bezrat Hashem, this is going to be the dynasty that leads us to Mashiach speedily in our days. And um, okay, we're going to stop here. And this will be our last year for this year. Uh, <laughs> next year, I'll see you uh, Tuesday, Mitzvah Hashem. Uh, I think that uh, Tuesday we can start a share. We'll do David and Goliath, very exciting chapter next time. And after that, we're going to take the Tuesday that's between um, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, no class, and Cholomori, no class. And after Sukkot, we could start again. I don't remember the dates, but I'll put it in the chat. Okay, anybody want to unmute and have questions? Hey, Judy. Hi. Thank you. Hello. Nice to see everybody. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. A year of good health and simcha and nachat and lots of Torah learning and lots of... Uh, yeah. Good things. Thank you. Thank you. Good health. Good news. Thank you so much. Shana Tova. Okay. I think some people are frozen there.
Bye, Ruth. Hello. Thank you. Okay, so it's like the beginning of a new beginning, but it's it's got the like certain sad elements to it. Yeah. I always feel very sorry. Beginning for all of us. Yeah. The new, new year. year, new stuff. There's Ratzashem. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Been an interesting year, and hopefully, will be a good, happy year for all of Klai's role. Peace. Amen. Thank you. Good news. Bye. Bye bye.